Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Like, I'm working every day. I come here and do my routine like last year. And then I prepare myself for the game. And I try to make a good contact with the ball. And then it's basic, basic, you know. Also, no. Left center field. That's to the gap with two outs. Kepler leaving with the crack of the bat. He's heading to third. He's being waved home. Here's the throw. Mondesi's throw not in time. And Sano delivers again. An RBI double. And it's one to nothing. Miguel Sano, red hot. Extra base hits in pretty much every game for a week. And we will break it all down like it's football, which is what we've been doing with the Twins all year. Plus, a little bit of more uh, reckless speculation on the show and random season recall. Mackie and Judd, and a quick shout-out to Federated Insurance. Federated's been helping business owners through this pandemic period, and they've been helping business owners in the state of Minnesota for over 100 years, based in Owatonna. They are among us Minnesotans, and if you have a business, and if you have... I don't know, some uncertainty about the future. If you are just looking for better risk management tools and expertise and a guiding hand, federatedinsurance.com is your place for trusted resources and information. And remember, at Federated Mutual Insurance Company, it's our business to protect yours. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. These two guys have Minnesota sports flowing in their veins. Mackie and Judd on Score North and scorenorth.com. So last week was the Declan Goff flu game where he played through a concussion all week. That was impressive. A massive concussion sustained during... I, I think I'm still experiencing symptoms. Like, I can't sleep at night. It's becoming an issue. Oh, that's a concussion problem. Dude, slow pitch softball is a beast when it comes to concussions. It, that's I, a definite concussion problem. It is an issue. Not kidding. Like, I, can't, I can't stay asleep anymore. It's been awful. I had a, uh, hmm. a concussion slipping on a wet floor in my condo about seven or eight years ago and just hit my head. And it was about three weeks until I felt good again. Yeah. Just so you know. It's awful. So uh, Today is Judd's flu game. He has a giant bottle of Dasani <laughs> water, which his dentist has told him to swish because... Yes. Uh, this is the once every ten year trip yep. to the dentist, Kids. and his mouth is full of Kids, go, blood and guts. go to the dentist regularly. <laughs> Don't be like Sports Dad, who doesn't go to the t- dentist and then gets asked when he does reappear magically. Why do you stay away for so long? See, that's part of the buildup too. Like, well, no let's pun, see. no pun intended. Part of the buildup, but like when you go to the dentist, for me, like I try to go twice a year if I can. Sometimes I go two years. Like I've gone, I've gone two or three years. That's the longest I've gone. I hate. The anticipation of the shame that they will make me feel. Oh, yeah. That's what they do. Uh, yeah. And then what happens is the – what's the – so you got the dentist. What's the name of the person that the actually high, cleaned, the, the, the hygienist. The hygienist. Right? And she was very nice, but she's right. the, the one good who cop. wants – The but, good cop. No, but she's not the good cop because she's the one that wants to tell you, oh, my God, these pockets are huge. And then my dentist comes in and he's like, yeah, 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 it's fine. 
Oh, so you had the bad cop yeah, so the dentist, and the Okay. Do you know the real reason why I quit? And I didn't tell them this, but I'll tell you guys this. You know the real reason why I stopped going? Is because, so, I hadn't gone for years and years and years. Wait, way too long. This was eight years. That one was, like, probably 12. And so you the dentist, like, twice in 20 years, basically. Well, no, I went back for a long time and, and up okay. until, so, like, like let's say, let's say I, I hadn't gone for 12 years, and then in... Then in 2000 and let's say three or four, I went back through 2012. But the reason why I stopped going after 2012 was because every time I went, they beat me up about my wisdom teeth. Yeah. I don't want to have them out. Like I was 42 then. problems? No, no. But they want them out because it creates problems in your mouth. They're not. I don't know. As far as I can figure, the appendix and wisdom teeth are like errors. Like, they weren't meant to be put in us, and, like, I don't know if there was a reason for them at some point in time. Tonsils, adenoids. But there's just no reason teeth. for them. But anyway, I literally, every time hopes. every time I went, they would throw papers at me about, oh, yeah, just go schedule it. And, then, and of course, you hear stories from friends about dry sockets and things like that. Oh, and yeah. I'm like, Dude, and it's the way Phil, you're that. right. They, they never caused me a problem. So yeah. I'm like, why would I want to have these little guys taken out? And maybe have problems when I don't. So I finally, and this is stupid, but it's finally why I'm just like, I'm just not going to go for a while. And then I didn't go for eight years. Which but see, was- and, then, and then what happens is, this is my experience. Uh, so you get the, the good cop dental hygienist, and they're cleaning your teeth and making small talk. And, and it's great. And it's, it's a great 15, 20-minute bonding experience where they're talking to you. And you're, and you're just talking like this. Like they ask you questions, and you've got nine things in your mouth. And they're like, uh-huh, right? Yep. And then the dentist comes in. And the good cop turns into the bad cop along with the dentist and starts saying things like, yeah, well, as you can see over here, uh, some uh, some major buildup between 13 and 14. And they're oh, talk- they're talking the in hygienist code. gave me that. They're talking in teeth oh, code. Oh, yeah, yes. Teeth code, because they know what the names and the numbers of yes. your teeth are. Yes, And so they're, it's like they're speaking a foreign language in front of you about you and your teeth. They are. And, and I, they've just, got, I just, I don't stand for that. And they've got codes, <laughs> I think it's from 1 to 10 of buildups and pockets. Yeah. And so they're going through as like seven. Oh my god, seven. And seven. then there's eight, 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 eight. There's also the one eight, to five. Eight. The one to five gum scale too, where yeah. if you're you you might I think it's like five means like they have to pull out your teeth, and one is like some mild gum disease, and then so they'll sit there and say there's uh, there's some two maybe two and a half three uh, my, above the sixteen. My hygienist asked me a question today. She goes, um, have they ever talked to you about periodontal disease? <laughs> Which is akin no, I was, to. I was hoping you would. Which, which this is, is great. Akin, which is akin to the call is coming from inside the house. Okay, just quickly before before we start, I got a question for both of you. Give me the top, let's say, three places where people talk to you and try and make small talk, where you absolutely don't want to make small talk. For me, Ubers, especially oh, if I if, right. if if I'm alone. I'll initiate if I'm in the mood to talk. Interesting. Especially, especially for early morning flights. Mm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. If it's like 5 o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. and I and I made the idiot mistake of booking a 6.30 flight, which is my fault, I just want to sit in silence for 30 minutes while you drive me to the airport. Yeah. I don't want to talk. Or when I'm getting picked up, I don't want to talk about where I was unless I want to. Right. You don't have to I ask me you. where I was. And like then that. and then inevitably, like, so you're going somewhere warm? I hope so. No, I'm going to Cleveland. Like I mean, <laughs> Detroit, so, Michigan. So I would say Ubers t- slash taxi cabs for me right now are pretty high up. 
Dentist? I could use a little small talk or yeah, eat some, fine. Do you some, know what some the one that drives music me, or something. Do you know the one that drives me the craziest? And, and my guy now, because he has been doing this for a while, doesn't do it with me. The barber. Okay. Haven't gone to a barber in like 11 years. But. Okay. I don't want the barber, especially if it's like a walk-in place. Yeah. I don't need you to ask me what I do. I don't need you to ask oh. me how my day is going. What I need you to do is what you're assigned to do. Cut my hair. Could not disagree more. My stylist and I, I will follow her to the ends of the earth. I, I but you like this person, right? Yeah, I like her. Oh, She's no, awesome. no, but, I, but I'm saying, I'm saying walk in place. So let's say, let's say you didn't know the person and you just walked in. Do you want that small talk? I don't mind it. Because if you like the person, it's totally different. Right. Yeah, I think, so my hang up comes, it's, and this can be whether it's a barber, which I haven't been to, I've just been shaving my head for like 12 years, or a grocery store, when there's other people around that are listening to the small talk, it makes me really uncomfortable. Sure. So if, like, if I'm, let's say I'm at a barber shop and there's one person on the right, one person on the left, I'll give you another one. I'll give you another one. So about two times a year, I like to get a pedicure. Feels good. They uh, they make Even sure Robbie. your toes aren't full of fungus. Robbie loved it too. Yeah, good for you. They give you the calf massage with the. I'm not going to make fun of you. The, the lotions. It's great. It's amazing. Yeah. But oftentimes you'll have people sitting around and and mostly women because I would say only like 10 percent of the people at these pedicure shops are men like myself, mm-hmm. manly men, mind you. And sometimes the small talk gets to be. It's like I. I don't, know, I don't know these people to my left and my right. I'm here to be silent for 45 minutes and for you to make my feet feel amazing. And you relax. That's the transaction. Right? Yes. Period. Yeah. But you want to relax. Yes. Which small talk doesn't include. To me, small talk is not a form of relaxation. Correct. Oh, how about another one? Here's another one. Massages. Even more so. Never done one, but I can yeah. see that. Never done a So, you know, I yeah. think there's there's a certain, sometimes the massage therapist feels a certain obligation to like, break the awkward tension sometimes even though there shouldn't be it's like you are a professional massage therapist i am opting in to get a massage there's nothing, there's nothing uncomfortable in. about this I'm just opting out. so we're sitting in a dimly lit room with some smooth jazz playing and you're gonna you know bust out some Kenny G's gone. hot rocks and oils and stuff it's great you don't need to ask me you can always tell too it's like you know you so they come in you're laying down and they you know they start to put some lotion on your back and you can tell within the first two or three minutes if they feel obligated to talk or not because the real pros are silent unless you say something. Sure. And then I can just sit there for an hour and fall asleep if I want to. Sure. The ones that don't know what they're doing will, within the first 30 seconds or two minutes, will say, so, uh, you know, you get massages very often or like, <laughs> yeah. or something. Yeah, or, or, so, so what do you do? It's yeah. like, nah, that's not what's happening right now. Right. I, I think if the question, I think if you go to get something done, like your hair cut or a massage or a pedicure, I think if the question is, the first question is, what do you do? Don't ask it. Because to, to Dex's point, you're look, deficient. Now. If you've got yeah. a stylist and you guys bond, and that's great. I'm not trying to say that you shouldn't talk to to people who do things and then become friendly. But if you have to start with basically a question that, that you would walk across a bar and try and flirt with a girl and say, "Hey, what do you do for yes. a living?" or something like that, then don't ask me. You know, the, uh, I don't want to flirt. One of my favorite books I've ever read is I read this in college. It's, it's a book by Leal Loans that was written in the late 1990s called How to Talk to Anyone, 92 Little Tricks for Big Success in Relationships. And I read this in like a communications class or something. And she brings exactly what you just set up, which is like if your entry point into a conversation is, so what do you do for a living? You've already failed. 
Because A, you're assuming that that person is proud to talk about what they do for That's a living. exactly right. B, that they're comfortable talking about what they do for a living. So try something. This is for all of you Uber drivers, dentists, anyone at a grocery store cash register. If you're yep. looking for the small talk, avoid what do you do for a living. Yep. And maybe start with like... So uh, what's your favorite hobby? Or like something that's more general that somebody might be proud to talk about. Do your job and get done with it. (laughs) Or that. And I can pay you because I have to pay you regardless. I I will say the best idea I had years ago, I got my hair cut at a uh, walk-in haircut place in St. Louis Park or Hopkins. And I was really bored. And the person asked me, you know, so they start, hey, what do you do? And I finally like, I'm going to make something up and see how long I can take it. Oh, wow. Short order cook, wow! Actually worked. What were you? Did you? What, yeah, were, what, your, were, your, what, what were your tricks to well, being I a think, great short order cook? I think I either worked at Embers or Perkins, and and I. But but here's the I, thing: Embers highly underrated. The answer was so boring; it sort of just got. She sort of just dropped me. See, that's what you do. Because like, if you say, mm-hmm. if if you say, like I used to. I cover the Vikings for the Star Tribune. And they want to know. Oh, my husband oh, yeah. loves oh, the Vikings. The What's your name again? Can you get me free tickets? Like, oh, that is do, you, do, do you meet the players? Yeah. Oh. Do you go to all the yeah. games? And then if there's other people around also listening to this, oh. now it's like, oh, yes. Sweet Jesus. But, you know, <laughs> but if they might not know a thing about the Vikings, but they know. And, you know, God bless them. Their heart is good. It's in the right place. And then they always but I don't want to go down the path. And then they always have They feel obligated to come up with a take on the Vikings, too. <laughs> oh, yeah. I just feel like I just feel like this coach. What's the coach's <laughs> name again? What's the Mike Tice? No, he got fired like twelve years ago. No. Well, who's the coach? I just feel I like he annoyed. doesn't really know what he's doing, and it's like, oh, you're such an idiot. But I, I, but I you also have like, scissors in your hands, yeah, and yeah. like, and, and several at your disposal. <laughs> so if I wrestle one away, because you stab me right in the skull, now I'm really screwed. So, anyways, football. So Judd's Judd's grinding this out today. Got his Dasani bottle. He's swishing around, trying not to squirt blood all over the cameras here. Yeah, I hope let, no one closes let's in. Let's break a Twins series down mm. like it is a football game. Let's do it. We are almost t- tonight. I believe marks the halfway point of the season. They'll play their thirtieth uh, game of a sixty-game schedule tonight. So the first thing I want to bring up with you guys is Miguel Sano, who I believe now has an extra base hit at least in seven straight games. He's raised his batting average over a hundred points in the last week. And he has become one of the hottest hitters in all of baseball. So what do you guys make of Miguel Sano coming out of his early season slumber, in which a week ago the subject on this show was he literally cannot make contact with a fastball, was striking out in half of his plate appearances, and now he is one of the hottest hitters in baseball. So first 13 games, Miguel Sano was 5 for 45 through August 9th, which translated to a 111 batting average. He had three home runs, had driven in six runs, had walked twice, and had struck out 23 times in 45 at-bats, okay? Um, Now, the strikeouts, as I said back then, and they still are, alarming. Like, the man strikes out, it seems like at that time, certainly, constantly. Uh, In the last 12 games, so through Sunday... He is 15 for 38, 395 average, two home runs. So actually one fewer home run than he had while struggling. He's only driven in six runs, but he has, as you said, he has a ton of extra base hits, eight doubles, and the strikeouts have gone now to 18 in the past 38 at bats, which still is not That's great. still pretty high. Here's what I make of Miguel Sano, and it's why I remain, like if someone, if someone were to come to me and ask me what I think would be a very fair question. If they were to say, Judd, 
why are you so infatuated with Buxton? Like, like, like if you said to me, if your take was he's always hurt, right? He's always hurt and he could be streaky. You know, why? Just stop with it. I would say because I feel like there's still an unknown there. There's still a there's still territory to explore. And I might be wrong, but personally, my infatuation has grown from the fact that I feel that there is something to explore there and that there is something more and that if he ever didn't get hurt and if he ever continued to mature a bit more as a baseball player, that I'm infatuated. Miguel Sano, Phil Mackey, I will tell you this right now. I feel I know 1,000% who he is, and it's not going to change. And does that mean he deserves to be shipped out? Absolutely not. But does that mean that I think that what we have seen in these past 12 games is indicative of uh, the remainder of his career? And, yeah. oh, my God, now he's found it? No. So so the difference for me in the discussion of Byron Buxton and Miguel Sano is, in one case, right or wrong, I feel like, man, there's unexplored territory there. Miguel Sano, the start of the season did not shock me. This does not Shock me. And I fully expect that that 13-game span of relative at-the-plate ineptitude will return. And that's the difference, personally, in my view of those two players. Yeah, I think he's a guy you for sure want in your lineup, especially when he's hot. It's frustrating when he's in your lineup and he's not hot. And he's just relegated to batting eighth because he strikes out all the time. But I have... I tweeted this out over the weekend and got quite a bit of pushback from from some Twins fans. But I, I stand by it, even though he's the hottest hitter in, in the game right now. Not the hottest hitter, not named Fernando Tatis Jr. I should say, he is a less durable right-handed version of Adam Dunn, and that is not meant as a knock necessarily, because Adam Dunn was one of the most prolific power hitters in baseball, just pure power hitters for like twelve years. Mm-hmm. Miguel Sano is a less, but he also played one hundred sixty games every year. Adam Dunn was a durable machine with a lot of flaws. He struck out a lot. He basically had a concrete cinder block for a glove at first base <laughs> and right field and and probably should not have been playing in the field at all the second half of his career, if not his whole career. But Miguel Sano, if you look at his numbers, if you look at the analytics, if you look at the eye test, everything, he is a less durable right-handed version of Adam Dunn who strikes out more than Adam Dunn did but also has a better glove defensively even though – like. Adam Dunn is literally the worst defensive player who didn't move to designated hitter in my lifetime of baseball. Um, mm-hmm. They just stuck him out there and hoped that nobody would hit the ball to him. So you can get by with someone like that on your team. I also think that to, to consider Miguel Sano one of the seven, eight, nine, ten most important players on the team is probably a stretch. I think I can sit here right now and name you eight or nine or ten players that are more valuable and more important okay, to the cause. Try. And 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 harder to replace. Let's do it. All right. Let's try it. Well, Byron Buxton's one of them. And people are going to say, well, what do you mean? He's always hurt. The Twins record when Byron Buxton plays versus when he doesn't. And his impact defensively uh, when when he's in there versus a J.K. or somebody else. Byron Buxton's on that list, albeit not at the top. Mm-hmm. Kepler's on the list above Sano. This is players who are more integral to the success of the Twins overall like you, you than Sano. If, if Sano got hurt. You wouldn't be pleased, but we're putting players above him. Who, yes. if they if they got hurt, the Twins would deem this as a bigger loss. Yes, that's correct. Just okay. har- harder to replace. Okay, I mean, think about this: Miguel Sano, really, like his lone positive asset as a major league player is his power, and it's plus 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 power. Like that dude hits bombs. 
That yeah, ball you see he one hit Saturday was that the, Saturday the one he hit 450 feet and took out the lights on the scoreboard. Uh, no, he he hit uh, the, the one he hit Saturday is the one that hit the Royals Museum yes. in left field. <laughs> it took out the beyond, lights on it though. Yeah. Oh, it did. Yeah. yeah, beyond left field, basically. Yeah, and and, and that's he said really he didn't like, barrel it up. Which is ridiculous. I didn't barrel it up. That's the hardest ball he's ever hit in his major league It's just career. my swing, like, bro, okay? He barreled it up. Dude, just why, my swing. Why does he feel the need to say that he didn't barrel that ball? Because he's softball. That ball was a, he's a laser. Because he's a softball player. <laughs> yeah, he plays right. baseball like softball. Who like who saw that home run and thought, boy, he didn't really get all of that. You are, like, the, you are the king <laughs> You are the king of pointing out it's just my swing, bro. Yeah. This is the just my swing, bro, baseball like, player. You don't need to say that. It's just it like, dude, you, you, you can just say, boy, that is the most flush I've ever hit a baseball in my life. And did you see the lights? I took out on the Royals Museum. It's amazing. Um, so Byron Buxton, Max Kepler, Nelson Cruz, mm-hmm. who's by the way a, a better overall, just like more multifaceted version of Miguel Sano offensively. Okay, you got three. Jorge Polanco. Yep, I got him down. This yep. also includes defense. Everything. Yep. Josh Donaldson. Even though we've only seen him for like five games. I was going to say, can we get into guys who have missed extended periods of yeah, time because Josh they're Johnson. hurt? Absolutely, one hundred percent. Josh Johnson. MVP. Um, I, I'll, I'll circle back on the offensive players because I think you can make a case for some others, but those those five for sure on the pitching side: uh, Jose Barrios, Jake Odorizzi. Um, you could make a case. Oh, Kent Maeda for sure on this list. Tyler Duffy. I'm thinking high leverage late inning relievers that like it used to be Taylor Rogers. You might say that Miguel Sano. Oh, Taylor Rogers is on this list though because the Twins have struggled in some of these innings with him not pitching well this year. So you said Duffy, Odorizzi, Maeda. So that's ten right there. Not even counting if you want to debate Eddie Rosario, if you want to debate Luis Ariz. Hell, if you want to debate Marwin Gonzalez, position flexibility. Yeah, Mar- Marwin big Gonzalez hits. might be on this list. Just he can play every position. Yes, he can play anywhere in the lineup. And he's all and he's always he's always professional. Yeah. Like yep. that's the thing with Sano, you have no idea. Look, the home runs are really, really cool. And they go a long way. Um and when he does make contact consistently, he hits the ball damn hard. But the thing with him, I think, and I don't think there's anybody Sano fan or not, who can argue this point, is you don't know what you're gonna get from a level of professional for that day. Including his latest infatuation with trying to take out his fellow fielders going after pop-ups. And, <laughs> but I'm serious. Just a, it's just like, a semi-truck coming he at you. Is, he is, I believe, at times playing baseball like it's softball. He is a beer league softball hitter, yes. Yes, but he also For plays, sure but he also, to me, plays. he plays his position in pursuing balls like, hey, get out of the way, get out. Oh, sorry, dude. Yeah, he's uh, and, and he has a lot to learn still at first base. And he's so been better than I expected. First base is not a difficult. If you're a major league player, first base is not a difficult position to pick up compared to all the other positions. But it still takes mm-hmm. some picking up. So again, this is all of this isn't to trash him or to somehow like minimize what he's done over the last week. I think it's to put his performance into context because we oftentimes still evaluate him through this prism of what he was when he was 19, 20 years old in the minors and he was a shortstop and a third baseman. He is a replaceable defense, uh, defensive player, and his offensive skill set is power, period. It's right. power. It's not average. It's not even really – it's driving runs in when he hits a home run. But this is a guy it's, – it's not durability – and it's certainly not the ability to lay off certain pitches like it was maybe when he was a rookie. So all I'm trying to say is when he goes on a hot streak, it doesn't have to be anything more than he's on a hot streak. Right. It doesn't mean that he's all of a sudden like 
the guy we thought he was going to be six years ago. It's not possible to be that guy when you strike out in 40% of your plate appearances. It doesn't leave enough at-bats to hit for average and other things. It's one, a math game. The one thing when it comes to Sano that we all, and this includes from us to the people that know the most about baseball, the one thing that we need to get past with him and we need to do it now is the notion that he has found something and that now he has found the fountain of success at the plate. Because how many times have we had that discussion with some people that know a hell of a lot more about the sport than us, right? Well, he he made this adjustment, and so it should be phrased like this. He made the adjustment, and so the question is, how long will it last? Yeah. Like, we used to get into these topics about, well, it looks like he made this adjustment, and it's incredible now. And I think the notion, I, I think the unsaid was he figured it out. And I And I would add, too, in terms of, like, adjustments or the next level, if you are on the side that says, hey, strikeouts don't matter and outs and out as long as you're doing X, Y, Z, strikeouts matter less than people thought in the 80s and 90s. Strikeouts strikeouts were sin for 100 years in baseball. They're embarrassing. And now it's like, okay, there's a, there's a trade-off I'm willing to accept. If my guy can hit for more power, I'm okay with an extra 40 strikeouts. But there is a line. And so if if you're going to say that, hey, it doesn't matter that Miguel Sano strikes out in this season 43% of his plate appearances, that's okay as long as you're also willing to accept that he has a glass ceiling then on how good he can be across the board offensively. He then is relegated to striking out, drawing a few walks, and hitting for some power. And that's fine. And the Twins can use that in their lineup. And when he's hot, he helps carry the, the lineup. And that's great. Uh, but I don't. I just don't want this week to be anything. I don't want this week to trick people into thinking like you just said. Oh, now he's Miguel Cabrera. Yeah. No, 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 no. Miguel Cabrera was a great all-around hitter. It's a tease. All-around hitter. It's a tease. Miguel Cabrera is not a great all-around hitter. He's a good. He's a great power hitter. Period. I, I think the seduction of of pro sports and potential great athletes in particular, the seduction is what could be, right? What can be. Like, what What does Dalvin Cook have left? What does Byron Buxton have left? What does... And I think the day that you can realistically sit down and say, I now know what you can do, is the day that the seduction is gone. And the seduction with Sano is basically gone. To all of our points, it does not mean he sucks. There's going to be weeks, and there might be a month where he is great. But this thought process of, Oh my God! There he was at level five, and now he's going to seven. It's not going to happen. Okay, one more thought on this because this is a good deep dive into a, a key figure. On I the use Twins the term roster. "seduction" in sports, by the way. Yeah, I'm very proud of myself. That was pretty good. That was pretty good. So some people might bring up, well, he's 27 years old, and you, you know, a lot of guys really don't even reach the peak of their offensive capabilities until they are 27 through like 32 years old, and so. Like David Ortiz, when he broke out with the Red Sox, I think was 27 years old. And Jose Batista is another guy that all of a sudden, he, I don't know how old he was exactly, but it was like late 20s, and he hit, all of a sudden hits 50 bombs for the Blue Jays, sure. and he's completely different. Well, the biggest thing you're going to see with those guys is, one, they didn't strike out nearly as often as Miguel Sano. And secondly, the thing that, like, like let's take Jose Batista, for example. The thing that he added in his late 20s was power. He wasn't striking. It wasn't like he was striking out 40% of the time mm-hmm. and and then like cut that rate in half. Like there's only so many things you can change once you've come to the plate 2,000 times. You kind of are who you are to some extent. Well, Sano's not going to like add power to his game. Right. 
he is powerful already. He's an, on a twenty to eighty scouting scale. That dude's a, he's an eighty when it comes to power. Right. So the 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 for him the next step would be take forty three percent strikeouts or thirty five percent career strikeout rate down to twenty five percent and then use the extra plate appearances for double to the gap over here, single to drive in a run over here, an extra home run or two there. It is very, very rare to see hitters in their mid to late 20s when they've already been to the plate 2,000 times in their career cut a strikeout rate in half or something. Just does, It's like you kind of are who you are to that right. extent, unless you are going to sacrifice power to do but, it. Then I wouldn't want him to do that. Just hit for power and be Adam Dunn from the right side of the plate. But we're also not sitting here having a conversation that he should be traded either. We're just saying I think we're saying we're pretty damn sure that we know exactly who he is and is going to be. But I mean, so because we're we are going to get the the um, responses now. Well, you guys, you guys are trying to get him traded. No, we're not. But I just think that these conversations about well, there's there's so much more to go here. If you truly believe that about this guy, I just think you're wrong. Football. All right, what else from the weekend here? There's a few other things we need to get to. You go you, ahead and throw something Do you out. want to get into all, all the, the guys who, who are hurt now and, oh, and the fact that uh, we got uh, we got line drives flying back at pitchers left and right? That clippered one looked nasty The clippered yesterday. one does not look good. I am going to, I'm going to give you very good odds that he is announced uh, as, a, as the latest member of the 10-day IL today. How about that? For sure. I mean, Rocco basically said yesterday, yeah, he's not going to pitch anytime. And Jake barely got missed. I, I mean, it, it hit his his uh, midsection or rib cage, but that thing barely missed his arm too, and that could have been a disaster here. So they're down. They're down, and Michael Pineda is still suspended. Yeah, they're down. Jake Odorizzi the in the rotation. Rich Hill, who knows? We'll see what he comes out with next outing. Mm-hmm. So they're they're just down. All these starters. They've how many bullpen games have they had so far this year? Like four, at least four, if not. Four or five, yeah. yeah. I mean, like the, their number five starter spot is well, just wait. the bullpen at this point. Clippard started two of them, right? Whistler started. Whistler two. started two because his start on Sunday was his second bullpen game start. So they've had yeah. at least four, if not five. A lot of Devin Smelter out there in Smelter. close games, just crossing his fingers, yeah, closing his eyes. Yep, exactly right. So uh, and Josh Allenson, there's really no update on him other than like he's been doing some workouts, but it's not like they're ready to rush him back anytime super soon. Buxton, Buxton out. Garver out, Donaldson out, Stashek out. Um, That's right, Stashek too. Littell, Littell's elbow. But by the way, t- tell me that when you saw that on Friday, that you didn't think to yourself, "That's Tommy John for sure." Yeah, that did. Like look he's good. grabbing at his elbow, and Jeffers is like, "Get out here right now!" I or, thought to myself, "This is this is Tommy John." Or is he pulling a Xavier Rhodes? Oh boy, I can't believe it's you accused him of, I can't believe you're accusing young Zach Littell <laughs> of no, that. I, that's a terrible thing to say. Bailey now go, goes from the what ten day IL to the forty five day because of right bicep tendonitis. Yeah, I mean that's not a huge loss, but it's just indicative. Of, it's amazing if because it's probably partially bad luck and largely due to the short camp. It is amazing if you go and look at, at the ILs right now in baseball. And my question is. Is football going to have the same problem? The ILs are filled with players, and pitchers in particular have broken down at an alarming rate. The, Yan- the Yankees have had, so John Carlos Stanton and Aaron Judge are both out. Yep. I believe it was James Paxton that just had yep. some Went sort out. of arm situation. Strasburg. He's out. Done for the year. Yeah, it is. Verlander, rough. I believe, done. 
almost certainly for the year. So, but the Twins, you know what? The the Twins came in with depth. The fact that they can, the fact that their bullpen is deep enough to be able to patchwork these games basically once every five or six days is pretty incredible. And this is exactly why you have dudes like Marwin Gonzalez on your team because yeah. he can just play anywhere. Although catch that smash a third base, dude. <laughs> he he drove it. He had a couple big hits yesterday. He did. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna rip him. Too He's much. a pro's football. All right, let's let's just get in let's get into the Taylor Rogers thing here. So yesterday the twins turned out to really need the insurance run. Nelson Cruz hit that bomb. <laughs> not many guys are hitting Trevor Rosenthal this season, and Nelson Cruz turned him around for that much Rosenthal, needed fifth run. There is no question. Got really cocky there. He's like, I'm gonna gas you. I think Rosenthal is sort of back to being yeah. the guy that he was three years ago. Stuff for him. Oh yeah. And but, might be available in the trade block. But he tried to gas Nelly Cruz, and you know what you don't do? You don't really gas Nelly Cruz. So Taylor Rogers has been really clunky this season. Is it just, hey, he's going through a rough two or three week stretch, but it's magnified because it's sixty games, or do you guys sense that there's just something more problematic here at play? Declan, you want to go? He's given up a lot of hits, which I think is concerning. Like he's still striking out a lot of guys. He's not giving up walks, so he's not putting guys on by his own as on accord. But the fact he's given up a crap ton of hits is probably the most scariest part because he is still nasty. I mean, 11 strikeouts per nine, like the guy still is able to get strikeouts, but you need him to be your guy with Tyler Duffy. And if, and if he is, if Taylor Rogers takes a step back, then all of a sudden we're kind of back to that same bullpen question of, well, it's good, but is it good enough to get you through a World Series run? And if Taylor Rogers isn't an integral part of that, then yeah, I'm going to have some significant questions. I'm concerned because... When he blew that first save, I think it was against the Pirates at uh, PNC Park, we all said, ah, oh, weak contact. And it was. But we all said, weak contact. It's a fluke, right? So, okay, once, totally buy that. Then it happened again. Nah, weak contact. And I'm like, well, hold on a second. That's twice. And then Sunday, he doesn't look right. It doesn't, he looks, I don't know if it's mental, because he definitely looks like he's lost confidence. Um, his pitches definitely aren't as sharp. And the whole thing of, well, it's going to be fine. I'll go back to what we've been saying all all year since this season started, boys. If this was May, let's say this was May 5th, okay? Then I'd be like, you're probably right. It's going to be absolutely fine. It's a 60-game season, and to Phil's point from the top of the show, we are now going to be 30 games through. So does it concern me? Absolutely, partially based on the fact that there isn't there isn't time here to just be like, ah, you know what? It'll work itself out. So, yeah, he. If you, if you want to do a deep dive into the numbers, his velocity is not really dropping. Mm-hmm. So, it's not, it, it would be really concerning if, like, oh, he's throwing 94 last year, 94, 97, and now he's down to like, you know, 90 to 93. His velocity hasn't really dipped, according to Fangrass. His overall contact percentage allowed is basically the same as it was last year. The only thing I would see here is that opponents are just. Opponents are swinging at more of his pitches in general. Um, but I would think that I, I would have expected to look in here and see like, oh, man, like guys are just making contact more often and they aren't. So it might just be that he's not as sharp in the zone that I think before he was just so pinpoint yeah. with where he wanted to locate pitches. And, you know, situationally, it just seemed like guys weren't able to lay off some of his like put away pitches last year. Um, seems to be falling behind guys more often like that. The, the, what was the at bat? A few days ago to Christian Yelich, where he just like immediately falls behind lefty lefty in a situation where like, mm-hmm. you know, I know it's Christian Yelich, but like Taylor Rogers a year ago would have just been attacking. It doesn't matter if it was Christian Yelich or 
you know, Matt Tolbert, like if it's a left-handed batter, he would have been attacking that guy and not falling behind. So I guess we'll have to see. I mean, there's nothing alarming. They haven't said anything injury-wise, and his velocity is not down. So maybe he's just going through a rough stretch. Maybe hitters have sort of caught up to. That's what I was going to say. That some of the things that he was exactly doing last right. year. Yes, but that could be exactly right. Fear not, because if needed, the Twins' best reliever, Tyler Duffy, <laughs> could still go in well, and be the closer. I know he gave up a run finally, but... But they're using him correctly. So, like, that that's the thing is, is you need two or three guys now. Duffy in, I, I believe it was... Hold us. A second here. I've got this in my notes. Sixth sixth inning on Saturday comes in. What? Base is juiced, right? Or at some point in time, gets out of it. Like, this guy's been great. But but Duffy is being used in the exact way, Phil, that, that I think you called for going back a while now, managers to use a guy like that. Firefighter. Which maybe. is don't be concerned about, oh, my God, it's not the ninth yet. We can't pitch yeah. our guy. It's the game on the line right, right. now. And it was. Yeah. And so, so the concerning thing about Rodgers is the fact that it's not like you, you can take the Duffy position and just replace him. You actually need at least two, if not probably three, of those guys who can fulfill their role at the proper time. But there's probably a case to be made here that Rocco is using Duffy, in most cases, exactly right. Football. I like to see a pitch more at times, but this, on... Uh, Saturday in the 60 was fantastic. Uh, next item here, great moments in human umping on oh. Friday night last <laughs> week. Oh, we should do a Jeremy, open for this. We probably do need an open for this. I don't know. We need like some sort of trumpet music. The great rehack. moments in human umping. It's the rehack. On Friday night, Jeremy Rehack, who the Twins have seen behind the plate like four times this season already, and he's terrible every time he's back there. <laughs> yes. I guess he's a rookie umpire. He hasn't really umped major league games behind the plate, which is great. Like, do you have two eyes, vision at all, and have you umped before? Because on Friday night... Jeremy Rehack stared at a 100-mile-an-hour fastball literally right down the middle of the plate by Royals reliever Josh Damont and called it a ball. Did not flinch. Everybody was shocked. Who was batting for the Twins? Cruz. Was it Nelson Cruz or Sano? Cruz. I thought it was a big guy up the plate. It was was a right-handed batter Mm -hmm. for sure. It was all over Twitter, and it was one of the most embarrassing missed strike calls I've ever oh, seen. The and uh, it was the Royals announcers <laughs> yeah. on the clip that was circulating. Yes. And they were and they were both just like, "What? What? <laughs> what? Like no one could process what was happening." So uh, some some people were jumping in, you know, while while it, you know the ball the the catcher's glove was down low, <laughs> yeah. and the pitcher missed the target like up in the zone a little bit, up in the zone meaning like literally right down the middle of the plate. Yeah. It's like all those things are reasons for. We're, we shouldn't be talking about tricking umpires here. No, a, a robot. Well, but how do you adjust for the height of a batter? I don't know. But I've told you this technology. one for a long time. My dog could have made that strike call, man. Like well, this is this does not take a robot umpire. It's literally a perfect pitch. And by the way, it's gas, man. It's right down. The, like it's a fastball like, right. Like down there's the no. This ain't no curveball. Where did that cross the play? This is a fastball right down the middle of the <laughs> batter. Amazing. It's not like he's five foot one, right? Like this, great moments in human umpiring. But I mean, this is where you tell the umpire you will never work a game behind the plate again. Again, it's amazing football. Amazing. And then our guy uh, Jordan Baker got completely fooled. It, it was a three-two count um, yesterday. Guy on second, and he gets completely fooled by a pitch frame 
from Ryan Jeffers, who I believe was catching in his third big league game ever. Actually, Ryan Jeffers has been great for he any has, pitches so but far. My yeah. the, God. Twin, the twin system has been teaching that for Ryan, four years now. Ryan Jeffers basically took a ball that was low and pulled it up into the right just a little bit. No, he's he's been and Jordan Bear's like yeah, that's, that's something they started emphasizing right. that. I mean, the, the pitch framing has always been somewhat emphasized, but the Twins like went all in on it three or four years ago and got Kurt Suzuki to do it better. Actually, was Kurt Suzuki still here the first year of Falvey Levine? Or am I thinking of no? Else? No, I think he was gone. Jason, right? Ca- I might be thinking Castro. Of Jason Castro. Castro could frame. Yes. Yep. They're high on him. Yep, and they they brought him in partially because of his pitch framing. But, but Ryan Jeffers that, that's been a frame. point of emphasis throughout the minor but leagues. Jordan Baker, you're a veteran big league umpire. Have a clue so that bad. you're being fooled by a guy who's catching his third or fourth big league game ever. So bad. Uh, I, I, that's all I have for the weekend. I, ha- I do have some trade deadline twin speculation for you guys. Unless you have anything else from the no, weekend. No, let's get to that. Here. Yeah, no, no, no. Okay. Reckless speculation. Reckless speculation. All right. The trade deadline is seven days away, August 31st. Isn't it great? And it's a lot different from a multitude of reasons. Number one, whoever you would be trading for, it's such a crapshoot this year and that there is a three-game first round that really, like, anybody can beat anybody. And if it's the Blue Jays against the Yankees, like, it's a three-game series. And so if you if you... If your starting pitcher struggles out of the gate, you could lose a series. So I think teams that would ordinarily be major buyers at the deadline to assure that you win a division, get to the divisional round, I think teams are just going to be a little bit less aggressive giving away a bunch of big you know, future pieces for a rent-a-pitcher. Sure. So that's one thing to keep in mind here. CBSSports.com has put together a list of 25 players that could be on the move in the next week or so. Mm-hmm. And this is uh, this is posted two days ago on Saturday. And it must have been posted right before the Brandon Workman trade, the closer for the Red Sox traded to the Phillies. And then I think has gotten lit up in the two outings he's pitched. But here are the starting Phillies pitchers. A mess. Yeah. The starting pitchers on this list. I don't think you're going to be too impressed. But you guys let me know. All right. All right. Drew Smiley. Is on this list, so Drew Smiley. Why did why was his name first? Is this indicative of what the list is going to be? I'm kind of going up from the bottom. There's four oh, okay, starters on okay. this Okay, so list. at yeah. least you're starting at the bottom. All so right. Drew Smiley, he no, uh, he's no. had injury issues the last couple of years. He's back with the Giants now. He's had some good seasons with the Rays like four years ago. Missed a couple of years with with Tommy John or something. So he's a 3.24 ERA in his two starts so far this season. I would I'd him. give you a uh, bag of popcorn for him. Okay. Taiwan Walker, former longtime Mariners pitcher. Is he still a Mariners pitcher? Yes, he is. I don't know. I think he's in. I thought he went somewhere else. I think I thought he was actually in uh, Arizona, maybe. Tommy John surgery in 2018, and he's already made as many starts this yeah. season for as he had in the past yeah, two years. And, he, and he's going to be traded for sure. The problem is he's probably in a pretty small group of guys who's definitely going to be traded. My guess is the asking price is going to be far more than than a team like the Twins yeah. wants to pay. Okay, so, so, yes, he intrigues me at the right price, but I don't think the price is going to be right. No Trevor Bauer on this list. Because they're not going to trade him. Yeah, they're playing well. Which is... They're making this, a, this is the Twins getting get screwed in the pl- by the, the eight teams. They're going to get in the playoffs. Yeah, they're like, they are working hard to get in the playoffs. John Heyman said, too, at this morning on MLB Network that he doesn't see someone like Bauer or even Sonny Gray getting moved because they're playing well and, and they think that they can make a run in the NL. What's their record? Is there any hope they're that they would lose like five games but, this week? But most of the they're teams in the National League are. So oh, oh. They're 11 and 15. Trade call, call up the National League standings and have a laugh. <laughs> if you bad. if you want to have a laugh, this is the National Hockey League, Declan, circa 1982. <laughs> 
just horse bleep left and right going to the playoffs. At least in the American League, the Blue Jays are the eight seed, and at yeah. least they're 500. Look at the National it's League. Not super Look at the National League, is, and you are going to laugh. Bad. Right, I looked so at this last night. Teams above 500, there's four of them. The Dodgers are unbelievable. The Dodgers are 22 and 8. Padres are 18 and 12. Cubs are 17 and 10. Braves are, are 16 and 12. The other playoff teams would be actually. I take that back. The Cardinals are nine and eight. Yeah, which doesn't count. They played that seventeen games. So the other three playoff teams would be the five hundred Marlins, eleven and eleven. Yep. The New York Mets at twelve and fourteen, and the Giants at fourteen and sixteen. Yes, I believe would be the other team. Yeah, the National. So the Red, but the Reds are eleven and fifteen. Yeah, they're on the outside looking in. Here is the hope, Twins fans. Here is the hope. Reckless speculation. You've got seven days until the trade deadline. You need the Cincinnati Reds to lose their asses over the next six days, okay? Yep. They have on their schedule, and this is wild reckless speculation because there has been no evidence inexplicably that the Reds would trade soon-to-be free agent Trevor Bauer, which they should, but mm-hmm. they can also get a first-round pick if they let him walk. And the, But the qualifying offer thing is going to be a question this year, too. They might actually mm-hmm. wipe that out of the CBA if they haven't already. Go ahead, give us They the play opponents. four games at Milwaukee, and then they play in the days leading... Oh, wow. So they've got... Oh, and then they have a doubleheader against the Cubs on the 29th. So they play four against Milwaukee, and then they play four against the Cubs leading up to the trade deadline. So they play eight tough right. games. If they lose, like, six of those games... They might trade Trevor Bauer. They might just get, or Sonny Gray. They might Declan's guy. But, I like Sonny. But the problem, the problem with Bauer is the asking price on him. There is no way on God's green earth the Twins would pay that. Reckless not to get speculation because he's going to walk. But see, here's the there's thing. no way. If you're the Reds, this is where it comes. Like if if you're the Twins, like would you give up Brent Rooker? Brett Rooker in that spot for one month and whatever happens in October of Trevor Bauer. I'd honestly have to think about this. I, no, I would. Yes. I would. I'd 100%. have to think. 100%. No, no. I'm, I'm far from. You can win 100%. You can win the World right, Series Right, but I could year. use that next year in a real season to make a trade to no, win the real World Series. Next year is not guaranteed. Right. Well, nor is Trevor Bauer coming to my team in 2020 and but I get no, through that three-game series. But, but this year it is a guarantee that you can win the World Series. A guarantee. You're already you're but already in the playoffs. I don't know why I'm doing that. I don't know why I'm doing that. And I by, by the way, I think the problem is the Reds asking price is going to be higher than Rooker. It's going to be Rooker and more. They're going to try and get if they trade him, they're going to try and absolutely oh, for sure. get a normal haul. And I'm not going to give them a one sixty two game season type of trade haul for what we're going to experience or what we're going through right now. But I think they know that, too. It, it kind of comes down to, you know, I, I'm, I like... Hey, the, are you saying a team's going to be practical about what no, it's asking No, for? here's what I'm saying. The, like, the Reds, the Reds have to balance. And I love how, like, we're putting this trade in the mouths of the Reds, who are apparently <laughs> fighting for a playoff spot. Yeah. But they're not a playoff team. Even with, even with eight <laughs> teams. They aren't a 16 Dude, like, there's three teams under 500 that are in the playoffs, and the Reds aren't one of them right now. So they don't care open right your now. eyes, Cincinnati, and trade Trevor Bauer to the Twins. So... They have to decide, and again, I, if, if I'm speaking out of line here, I, I think the qualifying offer stipulation is still in play, even though this has been a wonky year, where if the Reds offered Trevor Bauer a one-year qualifying offer of this year, it would probably be like one year, $20 million or something, one year, $19 million. If they offered him that and he said no, then they would get a first-round pick. And a first-round pick could be valuable for them, but it wouldn't be like a major league-ready guarantee. Brett Rooker is a major league ready, I'm not going to say guarantee, but he's a major league ready prospect. You could just skip right past the four-year incubation period 
and have a ready-made right, left, first baseman, whatever, you know, wherever you want to put him, that probably settles into like the fifth spot in your lineup at some point in the next two years. If if I am Falvey right now, I am making no trade for a rental player for 2020. So you'd need like a I year and a half. Of I need some control. term left. I have to have term left. Trevor Bauer is such a stud. Well, and so he's is fun. Sonny Gray. And, and by the way, Bauer's if your team fun. isn't good enough to be 500 with Sonny Gray and Trevor Bauer anchoring your, your rotation, something's then gone wrong. Get out of here. But but they are. I, I think the Reds are trying to look at this through the prism of there's going to be 16 teams here. We can fight this okay. out till the end. And and there and the thought process and both. Of you, you guys know this among a lot of pro sports team is this. Once we get in, it's a crapshoot, and they might not be wrong. I yeah, don't know. It's a crapshoot more for the Instead teams just that crap. actually have a chance to win it. When I think crapshoot, I think oh, it's a crapshoot, and that the Yankees could get bounced in the first round, not in that the Reds could win the World Series. I'm not even disagreeing could, with you. I'm just Reds telling you how beat, they're going to think. The Reds could beat the Dodgers in the first round, especially with Trevor Bauer and Sonny Gray. Correct. But I don't think the Reds can win the World Series. Right, but not with their bullpen. Like their lineup is not one through nine. Anyways, I got one more name for you. Okay. And you're gonna laugh at this at first, because football. Sorry, I meant to hit this one. Reckless speculation. This is the this is the number one name on the CBS starting pitcher list. Okay. He was a former fourth overall pick by the Baltimore Orioles in like two thousand ten. Oh, I know exactly who you're talking about. He no longer pitches for the Orioles. Pitches for the Angels, right? I'm thinking of the one that pitches for the Giants. Oh. But the Orioles do have a ton of flame-out top. Like, they they couldn't do anything with top pitching. <laughs> this is an indictment of the Baltimore Orioles. Kevin Gausman. Oh, yeah. Is having one he's of available. his best seasons. So he's made he's six appearances so far for the Giants, 31 innings. And uh, he has... 42 strikeouts to just six walks issued in 31 innings. Mm-hmm. Now, he has given up a few multi-run homers, so his ERA is like four and a half. But when you look at, like, his velocity's up, the Giants the Giants have been a great pitching organization. The Orioles have been garbage. And the, and the Braves also have been a great pitching organization. They had a half season with Gausman in, like, 2018. So Gausman has gone away from the awful train wreck Orioles, former stud blue-chip talent, has bounced from the Braves to the Giants and has kind of figured out what he's doing as a starting pitcher. I think if you could take a – now he's a free agent at the end of the year. If you could like literally just – now the Giants are actually in the playoffs right now, so they might not be yeah, willing to trade guys either, but are. he's on this list. Yeah, But that's the type of guy that maybe a, a couple months ago we would have said, no, nah, unless it's a number one starter, why even – but the Twins need starters right now just to get through find me, the playoffs Find probably. me pitchers with term on teams that aren't in the playoffs. I'll have that list for you tomorrow. Because because I do think that the guy that I, I thought that you were going to go with, and I think he was higher than the fourth overall pick in his draft by the O's, was uh, Dylan Bundy okay, of the Angels, who has clearly found something. And, and as much as I think the Angels would love to be a playoff team because they've got Mike Trout, I don't think they're going to be. I do think there is a very I think there is a list of pitchers who have some term left on contracts with non-playoff teams who you might give up something for but at least if you do that you've got them into 2021. Reckless speculation. So, so we're going to we're going to keep digging stuff like this up all week because the trade deadline is 7 days away and the Twins I would think will do something. We don't I, know to what level. Here's a question for at some point this week for both of you guys. Who is the 
How much and who is the biggest name among the people that can be traded by the Twins that you would be willing to sacrifice right now? So I wouldn't trade Lewis. I wouldn't trade Kirilov. It's got to be. It's got to be people who are on that sixty-man roster and who are in St. Paul now. So it can't be a single-A prospect who's not here. So you can't trade those guys. You right? cannot trade yeah. those guys. I'd have to look at to see what that. But you could trade Kirilov. Like. You could trade Larnick. You could trade Rooker for the right guy. All, all those guys are on the table for me. If it's the right guy, it's got to be right though. I'm not trading Lewis, Kirilov, or Larnick for a rental. But I would trade those guys for something that also helped me next year if it was the right. Like if if like a Trevor Bauer was a year and a half contract instead of well, one that'd year, be different. Yeah, I would I would look at making that move yeah. for sure. Yes. So I'll have to, I'll take a deeper look and I'll get that maybe on tomorrow's show. Okay, I can do a little bit of a deeper dive there. Reckless speculation. Reckless speculation. Oh, you know this ain't gonna happen. How about yeah. reckless trade speculation? We should just make Mondays reckless speculation Mondays on this show. I like that. Uh, okay. There's so yeah. much so many no, things. No, damn it, we can't do that. Too much fun. <laughs> Too much fun on Mondays. So if you missed it, we had Gerson Rosas on the show on Friday last week. You can find it as part of the Mackie and Judd podcast feed. And he said, Listen, we're open. I mean, he, it was a lot of GM speak, but he he did he did not uh shut the door on trading the number one overall pick. He's trading a pick. I'm not, I think he wants to. I think he wants for to the trade the right pick return. Too. He's trading that pick. But I could also see a scenario in which, like the guys that you would want to bring in as a third superstar, just aren't available this off season. And we're going to get to a story here from ArizonaCentral.com. Okay. But I think I think they're going to try and trade the pick. I think his interview with us was because of the questions were just amazing. He complimented cool. me on one Great of them. Questions. Great, Great question. Fantastic yeah. question. It's worth listening to. And it, to me, just go to Phil's questions. Exactly. Just fast forward to Judd's. They're just. <laughs> Just it, they're mostly just filler for when I get to load up again and ask a question. Gerson. But my sense was, I think they believe Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell are good enough to move forward and try to win with, and they would rather add another somewhat established player to that mix than have to develop a guy like four years behind the timeline right. of both D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns. Yep. There have been all kinds of Devin Booker rumors and speculation pieces, not just on behalf of like Timberwolves fans, but. Um, there have been Devin Booker rumors from all across the NBA. ArizonaCentral.com. This article was written by uh, Jeremy Clough from the Arizona Republic, and he writes, Reckless speculation. There appear to be four certainties in life for Phoenix Suns fans. Life, death, taxes, and unfounded Devin Booker trade speculation. Yeah, from Minnesota. The talk surrounding Booker and his future with the Suns returned Thursday night when the Minnesota Timberwolves won the 2020 NBA Draft Lottery, securing the top pick in the October NBA Draft. The chatter of the Timberwolves potentially trading for the Suns star picked up immediately from the moment Minnesota was announced as having the number one pick, and then they screenshot all kinds of things. I haven't looked to see if you and I are screenshotted in here, but you're probably in here oh, somewhere. you probably are. Your Twitter is. Your tweets probably are. And so uh, they break all of this down into sections. Like one of the sections is where does the speculation come from? And they point to the Slam Magazine article from whenever that was, like early on this season. And it's it's the three buddies, Carl Anthony Towns, D'Angelo Russell, and Devin Booker on the cover, talking about how much they love each other and want to play with each other at some point. Yep. Uh, we got to do this again when we're all on the same team. Russell joked toward the end of the day in their group interview. And... Um, the quote here that I think is the most intriguing is when Devin Booker was asked about 
hey, playing with your brothers and the you know the speculation of you guys all three being in the same place at some point now that D'Angelo's with Cat. And the quote from February is from Devin Booker. Carl and D'Angelo together, I'm happy for those guys. Obviously, two of my closest friends that I've talked to a lot. I'm happy that D'Angelo is in a home now. I feel like he's in a place where he's going to stay. He doesn't have to worry about where his next city is. He's in a place that wants him very bad and is going to use him to the best of his ability. I'm just focused on this team. I think everybody knows that. There's always going to be outside noise, but I'm just focused on this team. End quote. Yep. Reckless speculation. Absolutely the quote that I would give if I was about to demand a trade. Yeah. Would you would you go so far as calling Devin Booker speculation to the Timberwolves or elsewhere unfounded and blasphemous? Like Hell Arizona no. and some people are saying. I would go I would say that with the way that he played in the bubble, that the price tag for him definitely increased and that there is a better chance that the Suns are going to say no thanks. But let's remember too, when when speaking of the National Basketball Association. If you want to find what I believe to be the home, the the origin, the starting point, if you were to take a trip to the homeland of reckless speculation, I believe it starts with basketball. Like, I believe that that's, that's the one where the most insane, they would never do that. Could you imagine you, if Kevin are, Durant left Oklahoma City to play for the Warriors? Like, yeah, no you way. Are, I mean, think about the amount of implausible trades or, or transactions, which, by the way, and the reason why the, the Booker to the Wolves um, speculation has to be kept alive at every co- at at any cost. I should say, is because one of the paramount tenants of the NBA in 2020 now is trades are generated by buddies on teams. Correct. Like this isn't uh, if the Phoenix Suns GM. This ain't 1975. The Phoenix Suns GM can't stand up and be like, "We would never do this," and he's going nowhere. It doesn't work that way now. Like super teams are formed by people who are really good at what they do, deciding to play together. Yeah. So also worth noting, no. okay, Gerson Rosas, yeah, he he came in, he hired the trade machine, the ESPN.com trade machine guy. I wish we had hired him. Brought him in as what for our show? Yeah, well, for just for anything, it'd be great to have around. Can he produce with Declan? Just have those guys. That just would be great. And takes. Can, can, yeah. he pr- can he produce <laughs> trades constantly in different sports? So so the. the Gerson Rosas comes over from the Houston Rockets front office, which was very much aggressive and forward thinking and pulled off a couple of these exact deals. Like they, they grabbed James Harden via trade. They also, after, after Gerson left, but it's the same culture that he came from. They traded for Russell Westbrook, like Chris Paul. So the team that Gerson came from is pulling off on a regular basis. These unfounded wild speculation deals that have made the Rockets into one of the best teams in the NBA. Mm-hmm. And I think even in his first, what, six to nine months as he took the roster, turned it over, there was only like one remaining player, Carl Anthony Towns from, or Josh Okoge and Carl Anthony Towns from like the previous, you know, if you go back 18 months. But you have to remember, Gerson Rosas traded Andrew Wiggins, okay? The biggest albatross contract and flop in recent league history, not named probably like Kwame Brown or Anthony Bennett in terms of top picks, traded him for D'Angelo Russell. Period. Yeah. Like this dude already made a he made a trade that we thought would never happen, which is Andrew Wiggins for something of substance. Mm-hmm. And instead of just getting like you know a good bench role player, which we all would have taken for Andrew Wiggins, 
He got a second superstar that's better than Andrew Wiggins. So I'm not putting it past him to pull off a move that could at at this time seem unfounded and reckless to speculate on. This is going to be driven to, I think, to a large uh, percentage by Booker himself. Like if he wants to get out and he wants to ultimately, if he goes to, to the Suns management and says, look, guys, I've gone crazy. I want to go to Minnesota. And they're like, no, we would never do that. And he's like, okay, then I'm going to slowly but surely make your lives a living hell until I get what I want, which is what players do now. Like, that's why you can't dismiss. This is the this is one league for sure where I think it's it's absolutely irresponsible not to recklessly speculate, but to dismiss it. There have been too many goofy Agreed. things, way too many goofy things. And by the way, I applaud them all, and they're fantastic. Dude, Paul, Paul George, like, facilitated a yes. move to the Clippers yeah. very recently. So this stuff happens when, when you're talking about the top yes. 20 to 30 superstars in the NBA – and contracts in the NBA, the max contract is five years. It's not like some of these other sports where Bryce Harper signed a 13-year contract in Philadelphia. Joe Maurer here in Minnesota signed an eight-year contract with a no-trade clause, and it's just not feasible in any way to trade those guys. And the NBA, uh, the salary cap prevents teams. Like, there's teams in Major League Baseball that just flat out wouldn't be able to afford Bryce Harper's contract if they if they even opened up for a trade. In the NBA, all these teams are profiting because of the salary cap, and so that's not a hurdle. The length of contract means players, like the, the, the shorter length of contract means players have more leverage to say, well, I'm out of here. If you don't trade me, I'm, I'm out of here. Remember Carmelo Anthony, like, what, eight years ago now, when he wanted to go from Denver to somewhere else, and the Knicks wound up trading for Carmelo Anthony? Mm-hmm. He flat out said two years beforehand, I'm not going to play here in two years. I'm going to give you two years' notice because I love Davis. you guys. I love Denver. Anthony Pelicans, Davis right? is another example. Same exact thing. So, so um, I'm gone. See you. Now, Bye. obviously, Devin Booker has like four years left in his contract, and so the Suns have more leverage over him than some of these other examples. But I, I would I would be very careful, ArizonaCentral.com, Arizona Republic, I would be very careful to get haughty and suggest that there's no way. Why? Yeah. There's no way. Don't, don't try and calm the fears of... Of your fans, and in fact, I would urge you to flame those fears. Yes, flame, yes. flame the flame. Reckless speculation. <laughs> Anyhow, and we've been on both sides of it too. So look, we know the good, and we know a lot of the bad. So that is your Timberwolves reckless trade speculation for the day. And there's going to be stories like this popping up. The draft is in less than two months. This is going to be a super fun two month period. For Timberwolves fans and any fans of reckless speculation, which we are the purveyors of. We are. We are your reckless speculation (laughs) leaders in the Twin Cities. You want reckless speculation? How about reckless trade speculation? But uh, let's dive into our other weekly Monday segment, led by Declan Goff. Okay, let's see what it is. What do we got? It is Random Season Recall, where Declan throws out a random Minnesota sports season from the past and quizzes Judd and I on the specifics of that season. Declan Goff. I think you guys are going to play pretty well at this one. Because we're going 2003 Minnesota Vikings. Ooh. Okay, I was in Green Bay covering the Packers, but I remember it. Interesting. Uh, last week might have been the crowning achievement of random season recall when yeah. Declan asked for the top foot. Those are the four guys who scored double digit points. Yes. On we average for them. the Wolves, the 07 08 Wolves. That was good. Yeah. And uh, you're right. We got it. 
Well, I got. What it. you and, got? And I didn't help. Two weeks back, you had a. Was it the wild one you nailed? You nailed the wind toll too. So I mean, you you got consecutive streaks here. Yeah, playing some. The nice wild one, well. I can take credit for a, a lot of the correct answers. The wolves one was all Mackie. Very impressive. All right, the 03 but Minnesota Vikings. This is one of the more the, this is uh, this is Jekyll and Hyde Nathan seasons. Poole season. This is the great yeah. this is the great start into the great disintegration. Do you want us to ex- to talk about the things we know, or do you just want to quiz us on? I mean, just I think you'll know some of these, but final record. Nine and seven. So right? they missed the playoffs. Nine and seven. They yeah. started six and zero, oh and and then red. Like and then red went. They they lost to, to the Giants. Red went into the locker room in the Metrodome and completely melted down, and that was the beginning of the end. So nine and seven. Nine and seven. Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah. What was the final score of the debacle in Week Seventeen against the Cardinals? It was low scoring. So Nathan, I was in Green Bay covering Packers Broncos that day. Uh, I so when. I'm going to defer to you on the final score. Oh, boy. Um, the the number 19 is standing out for me. I'm trying to think of, like, did the – was it 17 to 13? Mm-hmm. And then the Cardinals scored a touchdown to win it 19 to 17. Would they have had to kick the extra – would they have had to kick the extra point? I feel like it was, like, kind of a low-scoring, grinded game. You did. Uh, you did have to kick the extra point, right? Because that's why the um, that's why the Saints had to come back on the field after the. Yeah, you're right. I think they waived that rule after the Saints game, but that was until way later. I'm gonna say uh, I'm gonna say 19 to 17. I, I don't know why that stands out to me. I'm gonna give it to you. Whoa! Nice. 18 17. 18 oh, 17. 18 17. So close. Oh, so they didn't kick the extra point. So they went for two apparently. So Naypool catches the oh, pass, okay. and then it says run failed on the in the parentheses. So I meant they they probably went for two and it failed. But not eighteen to seventeen. A weird Wait, score. Take me back to this. So there's time on the clock. Then that's what there had it to have been time on the clock. Zero 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 on the Nate Pool touchdown. So that was the last play regulation. So like, did, did they, they just take a knee? That's weird. I don't know why. It's that might have been failed. That might have been run failed. Because I was going to say the Vikings wouldn't have tried to stop. Did, did the Vikings leave the field? Did they just kneel down and? They probably just took a knee or something. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. That Still, that's very good, Phil. Wow. Eighteen. So I, I pretty much nailed it there. Yeah. Okay, I did. All right. yeah. Where did the Vikings offense rank in yards that season? Around the league. Okay, so is, is this within three to five? Sure. Their offense was pretty damn good that year. Randy Moss had a big season. What, was that the year that Michael Moss Bennett. caught that uh, that Mo caught the pass against the Broncos? Or no, yes. Moss caught the pass against the Broncos and lateral backwards so. to Mo. Yep. I think you also had right. a young you had a young Nate Burleson maybe in the mix. I can't remember who they're Dante. Yeah, this is kind of like peak peak Dante. Dante threw some picks that season, but. 04 was Dante's MVP like season, right? Yep. So this was still pretty good, Dante. Yeah. They were probably, uh, I mean, you want? what do we have to get within here? Three. Three on either side? I think, I think. Yards or points? I'm sorry, Dante. Yards. Okay, yards. yards. They moved the ball. And plus, they started 6 and 0 and scored 30 points. On, I feel like that team scored 30 points on a fairly regular like basis. Sixth or something? Like top 10 easily? Let's let's guard for top 10. Six, seven would seem to. Sure. Would seem to give us like fringe top five and all the top ten. Okay. Let's okay. Let's okay. let's go seven. Number one offense in yards that wow. year. Minnesota Vikings, two thousand three Vikings. Dude, so they number were the number one, one offense and they missed the in, playoffs. In points they were six. <laughs> they were such yes. a shoe in, man. Oh. They were such a shoe in. Very weird team. Holy cow. Packers thought they were absolutely dead going to the Broncos game that week. In fact, when the Vikings were 6-0, and that's probably the most confident I can remember Vikings fans feeling at any point since 1998. Where it was like, all right, this thing's back. Dante's playing. The lesson. Peak Moss is in his prime. The lesson, good Viking starts mean almost nothing. Yeah. No, 2000, what was it? 16. 16. Bradford. 16. 
was 03, 04. They did something similar in 04, too. All right. What else you got for Wow, one. How many touchdowns did Randy Moss haul in in that season? I'll get you within three again. Okay, when did Moss get hurt and have, like, the hamstring? Was that 04? 04. Okay, so that was his last. Nate Burleson at 1,000 yards in 04. Okay. So 03, uh, he had, what what did he have in his rookie year, 18? Yeah, something like that, yep. So he had, so 03, and and we're just talking here. We're just talking here. These aren't answers. 03 was his last, like, big season with the Vikings, and it was a Randy Ratio season too, right? Yeah, well. I think so, yeah, because Ticey came in in 2002. Yes, definitely okay. was. So it was probably like 15. I was going to say it was 12 or 15 or something like that. Okay. I don't think he's asking the question if it's low. No, no. Let's go 15. 12 is really good, but 15, let's, I mean, let's that's go, fine. Let's go 14 to guard here. We'll okay. go 14. You're right on. Yes! 17 touchdowns. 17. Ooh, you're in the guard. Nice. Okay. 17 touchdowns okay. for Randy Moss. It's unbelievable. Big All right. What else you got? Damn. Bring it on. Who was the team's leading rusher that Gosh. season? My, it's either Michael Bennett or Mo Williams. Or it's not, that wasn't Ontario Smith, was it? 03? That would have been later. No, it was Ontario Smith, right? Because he was, was it? Because he was suspended in 05. All I, of those guys were on this team. I got on the beat. <laughs> yeah, I, I got on the beat in 05, and Ontario Smith, that's when the suspensions had started. So, so, so Bennett Bennett had a couple thousand it's not yard Mo, seasons. It's though. not Mo Williams, okay? So it's either Ontario Smith or Michael Bennett. It's either Ontario Smith or Bennett, yes, sir. Well, O two was de- – I'm pretty sure O two 2 was a thousand-yard season for Bennett. What? These guys – Where did he break his foot on the treadmill? Oof, I don't know. He was running on a treadmill at one point in time during like – right before the season or something, and he broke his foot and missed time. It was a pretty bad break. It might be Ontario Smith. Then. I'm going to defer to you on this one. It's, it, is it, does your gut say Ontario or Bennett? I feel like, okay, I feel like Declan wouldn't ask this question if it was Michael Bennett. I feel like it's... I, <laughs> now I, we're getting into like the psychology of why Declan poses certain questions. Well, no, this but is, I, I love it. But I think he asked, I think he asked the question because it's I got my it's World not, Series of Poker hat on today. It's right? not Michael Bennett. Yeah, put, put, put your sunglasses on. <laughs> um, oh, boy. My gut, my gut says Ontario Smith. Come on, Judge. Se- segments on the line. Two receivers left and right. Segments on the line. <laughs> Here we go. No. Okay. Let's say Ontario Smith. <laughs> oh! oh, Michael Bennett. No way. Whoa, Mo Williams. Mo Williams. Mo Williams was your Whoa. leading rusher that season. Seven hundred and forty-five yards. Actually, just under fourteen hundred yards from scrimmage for what? Mo Williams. I would, I what would happened? Have, I, I would not have guessed that he was such. He was like the backup. Yeah. What happened? All three of those guys rushed for at least 400, 400 yards. So Mo Williams just, had seven what, Why was Mo Williams getting the football so much? That's a good question. Yeah. I, he, he had 174 attempts. He hauled in 65 balls. See, he was definitely a third down guy. He was wow. a third down guy. He was second in the okay, team. Okay, you know what? I can't blame Darts. you too much for that. That's I don't tough. feel bad about that because I never would have said Mo yeah, Williams. We were tap dancing around. As it turns out, we were right in that we tap danced around all of them, and so did the Vikings because they all ran for 400 cool. to 700 yards. I like what you're doing there. Yeah. Okay. Segments on the line. Uh, that, yeah, that's mostly it, unless you got something oh. else. Those are my five questions. I had five there. Um, well, what okay. else can we dig up from that season? I think. Who, okay, defensively, who, let, let's go with some defensive. Things. Okay, we can do defense. Who, well, well, let me ask you this: Who was the who was the starting quarterback that threw the pass to Nate Poole in the end zone? Was McCown. it McCown, McNown, or McNown? I believe the McCown, Josh McCown. Yes, or Cade, Josh, or is it Cade McNown? It was Josh McCown. Josh McCown. Josh McCown. <laughs> Nate God, uh, do you remember? So obviously, who they when they started six and zero, who did they lose to? Giants. Yes, 
at the Metrodome. Do yeah. Know? Oh, dude, this guy. Red, right here. Red went downstairs and blew up. They're, they're six and one. It made no sense. And they lost three more after that. Of course they did, because they were so they, flustered. So they dropped to six and four. Yep. Do you know they lost you in those three games? I don't. After the Giants game? You should remember the next one. Packers? Yes. Okay. Lost uh, 30 to 27 at the Dome. Oof. Oof. And then they lost. What was the date of that game? That was November 2nd. It was a Sunday night game. Sunday night football. Yeah, so November 2nd, I vaguely recall Brett that Favre. one. Brett Favre. Uh, here's a little more 03 trivia for you guys. I'm pretty sure Brett Favre threw like 24 interceptions or something in 2003. Can you look up Brett Favre? To, uh, I'll do it. I'll do it. Because you got your Viking stuff over. In fact, if, if I'm not mistaken, the Vikings opened at Green Bay, renovated Lambeau Field, Favre threw two or three picks in that game. Um, I think. Oh yeah, he Brian threw- Russell. I want to say picked off a couple passes that day. Oh man, Brett Favre opening day. Is that right? It was a bad start. If I remember. Oh, right. I'll check that in a second. But Brett Favre in 2003 had he actually led the NFL in touchdown passes, but he threw 21 picks. Hey, two years later. Oh time. my God. Two years later, 2005. Oh, mess. He went four and twelve. Yeah, they were awful. He threw twenty nine interceptions in 2005. What was the year that didn't he throw like five interceptions in a playoff game at one point? Yeah, against the Rams. Right here? Against the Rams in ninety nine. Well, he kept slinging it. Even the uh, the yep. Randy Moss Moon game is one of his worst games. That was, I think, a four interception day for Brett. Wow. That was pe- people remember the the Randy Moss mooning, but Brett Favre also played one of the worst games of his life in that day in Ram- at Lambeau. The Ram- so Judd is right. The, the Rams game is is the the uh, famous Favre quote where he said, "Geez, if they had, had left me in, I could have thrown ten picks." <laughs> I'd love you. I would pay money to watch Brett Favre try to throw ten interceptions. Not try to throw them, but just like throw reckless passes for three hours. Do you know who backed up Brett Favre that year? I don't know if you have it open so you can see, but. Uh, I do not. I just, I have. I don't have that. And open. when two thousand three, two thousand three, Doug he, Peterson. Yeah, Doug Peterson, his Hunter. buddy, his best buddy, his hunting, his hunting buddy. Two for two for sixteen years. So week, week one of two thousand three, the Vikings went to Lambeau Field, took a twenty to three lead at halftime, and then hung on for a thirty to twenty five victory. Five stat line in that game: four picks, Oof. one interception, four picks. Amazing. Twenty five of forty one for two forty eight and four picks. Dante Culpepper, kind of a coming out party there for him. He had uh, 195 yards and three touchdowns in that game. Also ran nine times for 50 yards. Corey Chavis, two picks. Corey Chavis. That's man. that is the game where where I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Daryl Bevel had just been promoted to quarterbacks coach, and so Favre throws. I don't know, like let's say pick three. Okay, comes to the sideline and Bevel who. You know, was the Wisconsin QB, right? Gets in Favre's face. And I'm watching this on the bench, and you can see Favre basically say, get the bleep out of here right now. <laughs> so he's trying to, like, chastise him. Brett, you're doing this wrong. And he's no, like, move. Coffee right now. Yeah, here. Go get Brett coffee. I- I'm going to go ahead and guess that the 2003 Vikings, who also had Dante Culpepper rush for 422 yards, there's got to be very rushing. few, if any, examples of teams that have four guys rush for 400 yards or more in a season historically. Yeah, pretty great, one of the few pretty teams great accomplishment. Okay, I've got a, I've got one more here since I'm now looking at it. Who was the so uh, Declan gave us Randy Moss? So Randy Moss had 111 catches for 1600 yards and 17 touchdowns. Okay. Mo Williams, he mentioned, caught the 65 passes. Who was the third leading receiver on that Vikings team? Who caught the third most passes? So Moss. Mo Williams. Declan, do you have it open? Yeah, I yeah. see it. 
Dad, this will be good. I don't know. A very prominent name in Vikings history. Very prominent name. Very prominent because of something good or bad. I would say just like a, a good career. A good career. 2003. Not not like a t- punch like a punchline. No. You know, just a good career. Probably wouldn't think of him being on this particular list, but he was at one point. Jermaine Wiggins? You're sniffing around the right position. Tight ends. Tight ends by 2003. This guy was right in his prime, baby. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Jimmy Klein Saucer. Judge. Oh, Jimmy, 46 okay. catches that season for the Vikings. Jimmy I, I Klein Saucer. I wouldn't have gotten Jimmy Klein 401 yards. Just, just swing that right around Ty- the end. You know what? Ticey loved his tight ends, man. He did. Ticey loved those tight ends because he played tight end. Amazing. Uh, Hunter Goodwin was another tight end. He only caught four passes that season. Hunter Goodwin. There's a blast from the past. So there it is. That is random season recall. Good block. On Mackie and Judd. We appreciate you hanging out with us on this episode. And remember, we had a ton of stuff posted on our podcast feed over the weekend, as you probably see since you're listening to this on the podcast feed. Uh, but we hijacked Rami Makloff's fill-in show on the fan in Milwaukee on Friday, and we posted that full audio. So be sure to go check that out if you want to hear from our old friend, Rami Makloff, and his surprise that we would hijack him and put him into an impromptu episode of Write That Down. We'll see you guys tomorrow. The South Dakota Stories, Volume 3. It was my first time traveling alone. Packed my car with hiking boots, a camera, and my dog, Randy. I don't know what I was searching for. Maybe it was something new with adventure. Maybe it was the idea of vacation I would never expect. Filled with wildlife, national parks, rivers. Whatever it was I set out to find, it was all there and more. Because there's so much South Dakota. So little time. This holiday season, Peloton's got a gift for you. Get up to $200 off accessories with the purchase of a Peloton bike, Bike Plus, or Tread. And take your workout to the next level with accessories like non-slip grip dumbbells, a heart rate monitor, cycling shoes, and more. Peloton, motivation that moves you. This limited time offer ends December 25th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access membership separate. Offer ends December 25th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com.